Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is the ENA Podcast, and I'm Dan Campana, the Director of Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming you back to our latest episode. And uh, these are the episodes that really kind of take me back to my uh, my background as a newspaper reporter. It's really just a, a straight up interview. We're going to uh, talk to someone who, um, you know, I'm just meeting for the first time, but you know, her story is amazing. Um, uh, this is welcoming in uh, Maria Van Hart. She's a uh, emergency nurse with the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. Uh, she's got an award coming up, coming her way uh, here during Nurses Week uh, for something that she did that. Uh, is the essence of emergency nurses, but it didn't even happen in the emergency department, um, you know. And I think that's what makes it uh, really exciting to 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 learn more about. So I'm going to welcome Maria Van Hart to the ENA podcast. Maria, welcome. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you having me. So Maria, let, let's start with the basics. Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your background in emergency nursing and and how you've uh, how you've ended up with the VA health system. Okay. Um, Kind of the most unique thing about myself as far as my educational history, I actually was um, preparing to attend Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana for a degree in musical theater and dance. Um, I was, uh, gosh, I must have been about 18 years old. Uh, It was um, March of 1987 and my grandmother had a medical emergency and unfortunately did not do well, but the ICU nurse who cared for her and cared for our family was amazing and um, helped me find my calling in nursing. So I kind of feel like I owe everything in nursing to her um, care, enlightening me to this calling that I have found for myself. It's funny because um, you hear that you hear that story from time to time that it was a, a personal experience. It wasn't necessarily uh, you know you you dreamed of growing up to become a nurse or an emergency nurse in particular. Uh, it's those interactions that resonate and stick with you, and you just kind of find a calling from there. Yeah, I, my only regret is you know when I was a kid, I didn't think to write her name down, and I wish I could find her and tell her thank you. Um, well, hopefully she, you know, if, if she finds the ENA podcast or somebody who knows her who finds the ENA podcast. Do you remember that Maria Van Hart, you know, and you know, <laughs> stranger things have happened in the world. So you never know, right? but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was St. Vincent Hospital in Indianapolis in the ICU. We'll see, maybe it'll help. <laughs> okay. So, um, and, and of course the other part of this is emergency nursing is such a unique specialty within the nursing profession. Um, what, what has kept you engaged or, or really got, you know, it takes a special personality to be an emergency nurse. What, how is it really, you know, did that grow on you or did you just know that this was the area that made the most sense for you when it came to, to your nursing, you know, trajectory for your career? Um, I, it, it was, I just kind of came across it through um, searching for, for my home, so to speak. Um, when I first graduated, I started as a pediatric ICU nurse. Um, then I did neonatal ICU nursing um, before I found myself in the ER and settled in the ER, um, I started work. I must've been, I don't know, 10 years into my career when I started working at uh, the trauma center in Indianapolis. And once I got there, I I was hooked. 
was so addicted to emergency medicine, I actually ended up joining one of our local volunteer fire departments and becoming an EMT as well and doing both jobs. For me, nursing is about being there to decrease the pain and suffering that unfortunately just comes naturally in the emergency room. Um, by the time I was 34 years old, I was going through cancer treatment and essentially my whole family was already deceased for the most part. I mean, my father was still alive, but that was it. And he was living out of state. So for me, my nursing family and my patients, that is my family. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I fell in love with another nurse at work and we have grown together and learned together and nursed together and created an amazing life. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my, my family is, is my work family and I look at my patients as family because I, I don't have that mother, father, grandmother, sister, brother uh, relationship. And so I, I try to be that person for these people when that person can't be there with them. It's really an amazing personal connection. And I, I've learned that over the year, the last few years, you know, getting to know more and more ED nurses, uh, you know, that personal connection and you, um, you know, you live with, you know, everything that happens with them and you, you don't get the chance necessarily always to celebrate the success and the, you know, the, the getting healthy and surviving some of the things that you're faced with when you come through, but you certainly carry the weight of, of, of the loss that happens and the grief that happens, but that energy to continue to do better and to do as much as possible for patients, um, you know, there's a bond there that it's really hard for people who don't live through that, you know, and, and don't experience that every day uh, to truly understand. So you've really encapsulated it in, in, a, in a positive way that, you know, you don't see them as just the people that come in and out. You, you do see them as, as people and meaningful people to you in your life. Yeah, very much so. It, it's, uh, and, and sometimes that can be very overwhelming. Um, my, my spouse and I were discussing that um, just yesterday, reviewing, you know, some of the people that we've cared for and outcomes that we heard of. And it's, it's a lot of pressure. And I don't think people realize how much pressure is involved in, in that. You know, I, when, when I go to work, I feel like, you know, if I make a mistake, I can cost someone their life. And, and that's a lot to carry with you. So it, it's funny that you, you kind of put it in that context, because, you know, it sometimes it's when you think about the pressure, it makes it worse. But when you just realize that you're going out there and, and doing the best that you can for every patient that you encounter, um, you know, it, it does de-emphasize the pressure that comes with it. But let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, uh, uh, this, this situation that you found yourself mm -hmm. in, um, you know, about a year ago. And, you know, where the, all those things you talked about in terms of emergency, you know, emergency nurses and, and uh, you know, their, their willingness to do what they need to to help someone um, and, the, and the, how personal that becomes. Uh, you were nowhere near an ED and you happened upon a situation that, you know, um, you know, it's, it's almost, I don't want to say uh, written in the stars that, it, you know, an ED nurse just happens to be in the right place at the right time. But um, uh, talk us through a little bit about what, uh, what you experienced um, on a stretch of highway about a year ago. 
Yeah, so I was about um, 87 miles, I think it's about the 87 mile marker on the I-15 north of Las Vegas. Um, I work at the VA in Las Vegas, but I actually reside um, in a tiny little southern town in Utah. So it's about a uh, three hour drive to work. So I go down to Vegas for my work week and um, room with one of my fellow nurses while I'm in town. And this happened to be my Friday. So I got off work and was heading home to Utah and at about the 87 mile marker, brake lights everywhere, I see everybody slowing down. And when I look off to my left, I see a vehicle upside down in the median with, I don't know, maybe a handful of people walking around. So I pull over and I get out and I, the first person I approach, I'm like, you know, is, is anyone here medical? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, has anybody called 911? And they had. Um, then one of the other bystanders told me that the um, family in the vehicle did not speak English except for what I, they said was a 10 year old boy. So they took me to where the 10 year old boy was and I asked him to physically show me each and every person who had been in the vehicle with him. Cause when I arrived, there was no one left in the vehicle. Okay. Um, as far as I could tell from assessing the scene, um, four people were ejected from the vehicle and the other six people self extricated. Um, there's they, a lot going on. It sounds like there's a lot going on there already and you've just gotten there. Yes, exactly. Um, so while I was waiting on a 911 response, um, I had him take me around and actually did an assessment on um, each of the injured so that when EMS arrived, I could give them a scene report and turn the scene over to them. Um, when the first the first person who arrived on scene was a police officer. And historically speaking in the VA system, like the VA system I currently work at, we do not currently accept ambulances. Okay. We are the, the newest hospital in the VA system. So we're still adding services. Um, we're hoping to start accepting ambulances soon. So consequently, when you're with a group of nurses having a discussion and you work in a hospital where you don't accept ambulances and that kind of stuff, um, we don't always get a lot of respect sure. in, in, in that environment when you're hanging out with a bunch of trauma nurses. And, and I get it and I don't mean any disrespect back to them. Uh, it's a different environment. Um, I was fortunate that the first police officer that arrived on scene is a um, Marine veteran. Um, and he recognized that I had some trauma education. And when I asked him to get me helicopters, he immediately asked for two helicopters to be launched. So we did not have a delay. Okay. Um, I wasn't watching a clock but I'm estimating it was probably another 30 minutes after he arrived before any EMS support arrived. Which is an eternity in, in your world, right? Yes, yes. Um, it was very difficult because um, the sickest patient that I had was um, what I'm told was a 16 year old boy 
who I'm 100% confident was ejected from the vehicle and then rolled on by the vehicle. Oh uh, he had a deformity of the left upper extremity. Um, he was face down in the dirt and it appeared on my initial assessment that he had CSF fluid um, coming out of his ears and his nose. Um, and when the police officer arrived, he, and I had no medical equipment in my vehicle. So when the police officer arrived, he gave me his uh, little medical bag that he carried. And so I did use um, some gauze to kind of see what the fluid looked like. And I, I got the telltale CSF ring. So um, I knew he probably was not going to survive. Um, so when EMS arrived, I had them, I, you know, I, I told the fire chief, you know, here's what you have, here's your scene. And um, he asked me to assist uh, one of his crew members in uh, rolling, appropriately rolling and maintaining C-spine on this kid so that we could get a cardiac monitor on him and do a full assessment. And he was determined to not have any cardiac activity. Um, so I was fortunate, I didn't mention this and I do definitely want to just in case this happens to get back to her. Cause again, I didn't write this person's name down but um, I did have bystanders who, while I was assessing patients, went and got sheets out of their car and held them up to shade the victims and myself um, because it was over 100 degrees that day. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Um, and that was very much appreciated. And at one point, I did have a woman identify herself as a nurse. And she said, I'm just a floor nurse. So if you tell me what to do, I can do it. And I'm like, no, 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 you are not just a floor nurse. <laughs> Never disrespect yourself that way. You may not have the training to run this scene. And I had what I believe to be maybe a two or a three-year-old child who on her, who was also thrown from the vehicle based on my assessment, um, who on initial assessment, um, kind of looked deer in the headlights, like what, what just happened to me and was kind of whimpering. And I just knew in my heart of hearts that she was going to have a change, that this, this was a, a head injury. So I had this nurse stay next to her and I'm like, all I need you to do is tell me if her breathing changes. And about the time we were finished with our assessment on the deceased young man, she was like, I think we have a change here. And I'm like, perfect. And she was 100% spot on accurate on that. When I went back over to the child, she was having an nystagmus and one pupil was blown and you could see the bruising starting to appear on her um, face. So there's so much happening here. And, and you yeah. know, what, what, I, what I'm what I'm taking away is that this is, you know, this is a one woman triage that's happening, you know, in an mm -hmm. austere environment. You, you talk about you didn't, you know, you didn't, you didn't have a, a cart with you. You don't have any mm -hmm. of the, you know, uh, the accoutrements, if you will, of the ED to start, you know, assessing and, and just really kind of measuring these things out. And you don't know the timing. But um, what I'm hearing, too, is that you're able to manage a scene that is developing for you with who's able to help me and do whatever. Um, and you're and, and you've only described two people that you've you've encountered at this point, two victims that you've encountered at this point. And you're, you know, I imagine this kind of keeps playing out where you get to the next and the next, and you're trying to really 
um, you know, keep everybody who is new to the scene apprised of what's going on as if this was a, you know, a planned out incident command that you were running, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's yeah. what I'm, I, this is the image that I'm getting my head on this median, you know, in, yeah. in, in basically the desert, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're, we are in the middle of the desert. Uh, the trauma center that these patients were um, flown, two of the patients were flown. Um, and then the other seven were taken by two different ambulances. Um, and the trauma center from that location, um, I would estimate is about an hour's drive. So this is about as middle of nowhere as maybe you could get for something like this to happen, it sounds like. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, the, the, the only way it could have been worse is not to have cell service, which is something that I have when I drive between my home and the VA, I have about a 30 minute time frame where I have no cell service. So everything that could make it a challenge certainly presented itself. So how did you maintain, yeah. I mean, is this just, you know, ED nurse instincts or just who you are as a individual that is saying, I'm the one who's got to keep control of what's going on here yeah. because there's no one else or, or what, what's, I mean, it's hard to know in the moment what's yeah, flowing through I mean, your mind. I mean, I'm not sure. I kind of sort of feel like, and um, my spouse and I do have disagreements on some of this stuff because I sort of feel like I was born to be an ER nurse. Um, this incident at the time that I was, on the scene and doing stuff seemed very easy and second nature. Um, so my instinct, spouse. Instinct and adrenaline, is that, is that the yeah, combination? Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, now my spouse um, became a nurse because mom said so. Okay. Um, so totally different reasons for getting into nursing. She is now a doctorate of nursing practice and teaches uh, for Purdue University. And she is an amazing and brilliant woman that I learn so much from every single day. And one of the most recent things that I've really realized is how much of a difference we both can make in people's lives, but from completely different ends of the spectrum. Sure, sure. Um, you know, and she was a uh, flight nurse at one point in time. So she's got a lot of that critical education background as well in nursing. Um, and so it, it helps to have her to, to talk to, to help decompress at the end of my day. Um, so I'm very fortunate in that as well. But I, I just kind of feel like I was just born to do this. But having said that, that's not enough. Sure. Um, I have had amazing mentors throughout my career. Um, and right now I have an amazing mentor at the VA, um, doctor of nursing practice, uh, nurse practitioner Thompson, who is my current mentor and really supports me when I have a situation where I'm like, you know, did I miss something? Um, anytime there's any of that self-doubt or I'm like, 
I don't understand why you've ordered this, explain this to me. And she always takes the time to provide um, answers, education, support to our nursing staff. And, and she, I actually, after she's actually my TNCC ENPC instructor right now, like, you know, currently that's, she's the person who I last renewed with. Okay. Um, and so after this incident, I um, reached out to her and one of my other, my fellow ER nurses um, at the VA who has also been a trauma nurse in the past and, you know, reviewed the whole scenario because, you know, even after my assessment of that child, that is the first time I have ever been the medical authority on scene saying this person is deceased, we're calling this. Hmm. And so even today, even though I know that my assessment was a good assessment and that the, that a paramedic reassessed after me as well and that we concurred and came to the same conclusion, still to this day, I'm still like, am I sure? Am I sure? Right. Because that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. Well, what I was going to, uh, to come back to the scene for a second, um, you know, when you, when you look at the totality of, of everything that happened, so uh, kind of summarize for me, you talked about the number of people that, um, you know, were involved with the vehicle, you know, how much time did you spend in sort of that triage mode and advising, you know, the additional EMS that's coming on scene, you know, I'm sure it all flew by, but, you know, really how much time did you spend, you know, kind of doing those assessments and, you know, guiding others before, you know, it was time to clear scene and you were able to, you know, eventually, you know, finish, you know, finish your journey home that night, because yeah, you know, so that's a whole nother question I've got for you. But really, what, what's sort of the totality yeah. of the time that you're there and, and, you know, how you managed all of that time, which probably went by in a snap? Yeah, so I actually ended up being on scene for about two and a half hours. I don't know what the educational background and training um, of the on scene responding crews um, is I was the, the nurse who I called to kind of help decompress myself after the incident. Turns out she actually is the neighbor of the fire chief and knows him very well. Oh, wow. Okay. And, um, by the time everything was over, we had <sighs> county police that had come up out of Las Vegas. We had state police and we had the police officer who first arrived from the reservation. We had Medic West Ambulance Service who had driven up out of Las Vegas. Um, and I feel terrible because I don't remember the name of our um, flight service that came out. I, I don't remember who the flight crew was out of, out of Las Vegas. Um, and then we also had I want to say three, if not four fire service vehicles. And I didn't do the research, but I believe that the fire department who is responsible for that stretch of the desert um, is not even a full service fire department. Um, but I was told after the fact that a significant number of the people who were on scene had never seen a deceased person before. Um, well, so on <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of stuff happening. Um, and I really respect chain of command. So the minute the fire chief arrived on scene, I gave him a scene report and attempted to turn the entire scene over to him. And he asked me to maintain partial control of the scene with him so that he could focus more on his crew and making sure that his crew, each crew member had everything that they needed um, and could support them and direct his resources to where they were needed. Um, so I would keep him abreast. I just kept reassessing all of the patients and kept him abreast of the condition of each patient so that he could send the crew members with the appropriate skill levels to the appropriate patients. Um, not everyone on his crew was certified to start an IV. Um, I, at the time, uh, also am had my certification as an EMS RN here in the state of Nevada, which allows me to work outside of the hospital. Okay. So he did ask me to start a couple of IVs for him, which I did do. Um, the next time I tried to sort of excuse myself because I didn't want to step on his toes. Sure. Um, so I, we had flown out the child who had the uh, pupillary changes, who was decompensating. She had already been flown out. Um, we had loaded the teenage boy with the open tib fib fracture into an ambulance to be transported. Um, a crew was caring for um, a couple of walking wounded, so they went in that same ambulance. Um, then that left me with the driver of the vehicle who had chest wall contusions, the 10 year old child who appeared like he didn't have a scratch on him who was doing our interpretation. Um, the family was from Syria, here for a wedding of all things. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, and then I had two females who I had difficulty figuring out who was mom, who was daughter. Um, one of them had what I believe to be an unstable pelvic fracture. So they did have her in the back of one of their ambulances to get her out of the sun to provide care. But every time someone tried to assess her, the person who I deemed to be the patriarch of the family was preventing anyone from touching her. Um, I, in hindsight, am very fortunate that when I worked at the trauma center in Indianapolis, um, I had uh, some physicians teach me the words "assalam walaikum, walaikum salam," which is um, a greeting, um, a blessing upon someone's family. It's the only words I know that someone who is from a country in the general region of the Middle East, India, might understand. So I just kept repeating it over and over as I tried to get this man to look me in the eyes, which is obviously a cultural thing that would not be normal for him to be doing. But he finally, you know, saw through his own personal shock and was able to hear that I was speaking words that he recognized. Um, and once he and I had like an eye meeting, 
he gave me the expected response um, and sat back and let me provide care to her. When the flight crew arrived for her, there was one male, one female on the flight crew and I approached them and I said, I'm not sure who is your crew lead on this flight, um, but while you're here on the ground, only females can be touching her for cultural reasons for the rest of the family to make everything go more smoothly. And they were wonderful about that. The female flight crew person and I um, placed the pelvic binder on the patient um, so the, to help the family be at a much more comfortable level with us providing care and for us to be able to accomplish that care. With, with, with all of this happening, you know, I, what I keep coming back to, to, to do things, one, this is the, you just you described it earlier, this is the end of your work week. So you, you know, yeah. have just gotten done with, you know, um, all the usual things that you would, you know, expect to find through an ED. Yeah. And, and you're still driving home. So mm -hmm. when, you know, you talked about decompressing, I mean, uh, just kind of give me a snapshot of what the rest of that ride home is like, because I'm sure you're, having to, you know, let people know, you know, that you, why you're late getting home, you know, expected yeah. time frame, but you're also processing all these things, you know, that yeah. you just experienced. And there's probably only a small segment of your world, you know, your, your wife included that would understand how you end up in such a situation and how, you know, you just can't drive by it and go home. You need to, yes. you're compelled. You're, you said you're born to do this. So you're not going to let this just sit there and happen. You needed to get involved. So put all that together and give me a snapshot of, of what that ride, the rest of your ride home was like. Um, so the fire department was kind enough to give me waters. You know, I didn't have anything to drink that whole time. Didn't even process that either. Cause I was so focused and when everything was all sort of said and done and I'm, you know, giving the, the uh, responding police officers wanted photographs of my, nursing ID and that kind of stuff, just so they could tidy up all of their books. Um, so I'm doing all of that kind of stuff and I'm like, wow, I'm kind of dizzy. Um, so the combination of the dehydration and the adrenaline letdown, um, I got back to my car and I kind of sat there for a minute and I'm like, am, am I okay to drive? <laughs> um, fortunately, there was a uh, not not even a half mile up the road or so, there's a, a parking lot for truck drivers to take breaks. So I got myself there and took a minute and um, sent a text message to both my wife and Dr. Thompson because I was residing at her home at the time. And so when I get to one place, I text wherever I left and say, hey, I've arrived home safely, vice versa, that kind of stuff. So I texted uh, my wife and Dr. Thompson and said, look, you know, um, I'm running late. There was an accident. I stopped to help, but I'm okay. And um, at, at some point you catch your breath, I'm sure. And, you know, that's, yeah. you, know, you know, you talk about all the other, uh, you know, sort of internal debriefing and, and, you know, talking with others to really get a sense of, uh, you know, what did I just experience? And, you know, you mentioned also, you know, did I, you know, did I do everything the best I could have? Did I make all the right calls? And it's easier always to second guess and, and be curious about those things. But um, obviously one of the, the best ways to tell, um, you know, the impact you made is when you're recognized by your peers or recognized by somebody else for your actions. And, um, coming up during Nurses Week, you're you're going to pick up a, a fairly you know um, 
prominent uh, recognition for for your work from the VA. Um, tell us about what that award is and, and really what your reaction was when you found out that, uh, that you'd be receiving it. So um, the secretary of the VA gives out an award each year. And the there's actually five awards. Um, one for bedside nursing for, for someone in my position. And these are the Secretary of the VA's Award for Nursing Excellence. There's one for um, non-nursing. There's one for um, like nurses who are maybe in a different role, not at the bedside. There's one for uh, executive. Um, and honestly, I did not even know that it existed until after I found out that I had been nominated. So um, it's a two-step award. The Veterans Administration is separated into what we call visions. Um, so they're just, they're, they divide the country up. So the VA of Southern Nevada is in Vision 21. And we actually, oddly enough, even though we're in Vision 21, I believe we only have 18 of these Visions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so like my Vision includes um, part of California, the Philippines, Guam, American Samoa. Um, so the first step was that each VA nominates a nurse or has the opportunity to nominate a nurse for the Secretary of the VA Nursing Excellence Award. Um, so the first step was that I did win that award for Vision 21. So then the 18 Vision winners, um, their letter of recommendation nomination is then sent to the Secretary of the VA. And then he makes the decision um, who he feels has achieved it the most or earned it. I, I'm not really sure exactly how he makes that decision because I mean, as you can imagine, while I am incredibly honored to be receiving this, I am smart enough to know that every day there is a nurse, a doctor, a respiratory therapist, a CNA, a firefighter, an EMT, a paramedic, um, nurse practitioner. But there, there are so many other people out there just like me who every single day are saving lives, risking their own lives to make a difference. I know that really, yes, I, I, have done my job and, and in some cases gone maybe above and beyond the call of duty, but no one would know anything about it if the police officer on scene hadn't called the hospital to tell them thank you. Um, no one would know about it if my leadership at the VA hadn't taken the time to nominate me and make sure that my story was shared. And you know, so, you important. Yeah, well, I was going to say when you look. Yeah, and I was going to say when you look at the big picture, um, you know, it, it's common among all first responders and, and emergency nurses in particular. 
none of you do what you do for notoriety or attention. You do it to help others. And, you know, in your case, like you talked about it, you know, sort of born to do this, it's a calling to, to help others. And, and certainly in the ED, um, you know, in, in those emergency environments, such as a roadside in the middle of the desert, um, you know, you're, you're doing what you feel, um, you know, is natural to you, which is to help and to take charge and to, you know, try to make the best out of whatever that situation is for the people who are sick or injured. So certainly, you know, you didn't get out of your car thinking this is about awards. This is about what you would do in any other circumstance anywhere around the country at any given time. So I think everybody, you know, certainly recognizes that uh, um, awards are nice and it's never a motivator. But um, deep down inside, is there a part of you that goes, you know, wow, you know, maybe this was a bigger deal than even I'm thinking it was, you know, if to get this level of attention and to be recognized at such a high and prestigious level? Um, yeah, I, you know, when I drove home, when I drove the rest of the way home, I didn't think anything about it. The officer told me, he's like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to call and let the VA know how helpful you were. And I'm like, you know what, I really appreciate that because you know, we do have employee of the quarter and I was thinking maybe I'll get employee of the quarter, <laughs> you know, I'm like, and, and employee of the quarter gets a parking space for the month. <laughs> you, know? you had, you had and, mild, mild aspirations for anything. Yeah. I'm like, sweet. Maybe because parking is a problem. Parking is a problem <laughs> at most hospitals. So I was like, sweet, maybe I'll get that coveted, awesome parking spot. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess maybe that crossed my mind a little bit on the back end. Um, but Mostly for me, I, and I'm sure this stems from um, losing, my mom passed away when she was 59. Um, so I was, gosh, how old was I? That was in 2000. So I would have been, let me do some quick math here. I was 31. So, I mean, I wasn't young, young, but you know, that's, that's still pretty young. And so I, I think there's that part of me that just wants people to be proud of me and wants to make sure that my mom is looking down on me and, and is proud of me. Um, so, I mean, I guess from that angle, I guess maybe, you know, I, I hope for that accolade that, I'll always be doing things in a manner that make the people around of me, around me proud to, to work with me, proud to be around me and of the work that I do. Um, but yeah, I never in a million years ever expected to be receiving an award that gets given to one person in the nation. That, that, that never in a million years ever crossed my mind. Um, and it's, it has created pressure for me because I'm like, okay, every time I, I talk to somebody or get an email for somebody and I, I'm responding to their questions or their congratulations or, or what have you, I'm like, okay, don't say something stupid. Don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass your leadership. Don't embarrass the VA. Um, so, you know, that, that's a lot of pressure and, and I have young nurses who are aware of this, who, you know, I, they come to me now more. So, I mean, people came to me before with questions just cause I've been a nurse for 30 years. Yeah. Um, but I do feel a heightened responsibility 
to um, to nursing in and of itself to be a good example and to make sure that that I don't ever dis cause any disrespect, I guess, maybe to the award I'm being given. If I may not be wording that quite right, um, but what, it, what I what I take away is you're 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 thinking about the um, you know the magnitude of what this represents, especially you see words of you know excellence in nursing, and certainly you know ENA as an organization talks about you know uh, advancing excellence, and there's no one definition of what that is, and I think everything that you've described is about the you know your actions are what have, you know, have given you, you know, uh, the opportunity to receive this award and be recognized in the way you are. Um, so, I, you know, what, what you're saying, I think makes sense for a lot of people. It's that, you know, you, um, you want to live up to what people are, are, are viewing you as in the context of an award, but certainly, you know, when you've got a long, you know, a long career, as you described, um, the actions probably you know, over 30 years, the aggregate of that certainly speaks as loudly, if not more so than just one incident and one award. So I, I could see where there's a little bit of a, you know, a, a tug of war, maybe, you know, uh, emotionally and maybe mentally about, you know, what does this mean and how do I have to, you know, what should I be doing differently or do I need to do anything differently moving forward? But I yeah. did back to one one thing you said earlier when you were talking about um, you know uh, wanting people around you to to be proud of you. Um, you talked earlier about your relationship with your wife in, in the context of nursing. Um, what was her reaction? You know to you know both the you know the divisional award uh, or vision award. I think you said it was. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, but then you know on this this full national scale. I mean, knowing that you know, nursing is a commonality in your in your professional and personal lives. Uh, what was her reaction is probably the person you, you look to most for, um, you know, the support all the time when it comes to the things you experience, but certainly a moment like this. Yeah. So, um, she is obviously very proud of me, um, and my accomplishments, but true to being an ER nurse, <laughs> she's like, um, don't get too big for your britches. <laughs> I'm like, I, that is correct. I'm not perfect. And I think that's, I don't know. I kind of, I, I don't know if I just want to like drift back into the shadows and just keep doing my job. Or if I would like to see this maybe continue in a manner. And I, and I don't even know what this would be, but in some kind of a manner where I can somehow help just nursing overall to, to, to find a way to have a platform to encourage nurses to take better care of each other as well. And I don't, I don't know, I think, you know, especially like, you know, with, with all of society right now, you know, everybody having been shut in their homes so much and stuff like that, I just feel like there's such a huge disconnect in our society. If, we don't take care of each other, who's going to take care of us? And I think historically in different time frames around the world, in different situations, people have sucked back into their own life where they're just, you know, okay, all I got to worry about is me. I'm just worrying about my me. You know, I, I don't have, I, I can't worry about other people. And it's not that I don't think people should care for themselves. You should care for yourself, but we need to care about each other too. 
you've encapsulated something I think which is really good is you know how do you use an opportunity like this to um, you know to talk about some of the things that are important to you and you're talking about sort of not just the self-care but the care for one another's and certainly the last year has been an example of the struggle and the strain that's been put on frontline healthcare workers and ED nurses in particular to to navigate this and to get past some of the uh, the strength, you know, and, and putting on the good face, even when things aren't great, because the reality is it's been tough for everybody. But when you've seen and experienced the things that, that ED nurses have in the last year, uh, it's okay to let, you know, I, I think the expression is it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to let your guard down a little bit, but, you know, to be able to look around and, and see who else needs a little help from time to time. I, I think you've, you're, you're using this opportunity certainly to uh, paint that picture that while this interview has been about an award and about this, uh, you know, this austere incident that, you know, you really uh, made a big impact on, um, you know, there are still these other issues that ED nurses face all the time. And if this is a chance for you to, to share your experience and not, and not only share your experience, but share the perspective of what else is going on in emergency nursing, I think you've done a great job of, of doing just that and, and using this opportunity to, to talk about, you know, everything else that's going on with emergency nurses and, um, you know, and, I think what you said earlier really kind of sticks. Uh, sticks. People are, are have always turned to you, but now they, maybe they they're coming out a little bit more often because they see, you know, your name in the VA blog and they see this award that's coming your way. So um, it seems like you've taken it all in stride, but you've been you've got some good introspection about it all. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I've I've had my moments of where I'm like, okay, I just I, wow, this is all overwhelming. <laughs> understandably so <laughs> but it's you know it's it's a huge huge honor um and the i don't know i can't i can't really say enough about my leadership at the va as well um you know when like i don't know the the day i returned to work when i went back to work the following week after this incident um, my manager, both of my assistant managers came and found me in the department and, you know, they said, we're really proud of you. But the second thing that they said, or and they were like, we're, you know, we're really proud of you and we're proud to have you as a nurse here. But the second thing that they all said to me was, are you okay? And that's pretty awesome. Um, within a few days, our director of nursing was down in the ER um, looking for me. My assistant manager, you know, brought her out to the COVID tent where I was working. Um, and she told me, thank you. Thank you for being a VA nurse. And if you're not okay, I know you're not a veteran, but I can find someone here for you to talk to if you need to talk. And there's that team support you're talking about, right? And yeah. So you know, even in that moment where they they want to congratulate and, and show that how proud they are, they they certainly showed their they're interested in making sure that you, as the person, you know, are, yeah. are in a good place after something is uh, dramatic and you know certainly not what you were expecting on a drive home at the end of your work week. <laughs> no, no, not at all. N none of this has been anything that I would have ever expected. Well, Maria, uh, Maria Van Hart, you know, I appreciate you taking some time to be a part of the ENA podcast to tell your story, not just about what, what happened uh, last year to, to lead to this, uh, this prestigious award, but your perspectives on um, what nursing, emergency nursing means to you and certainly 
um, you know, what you want to be able to do now that you, you've picked up a little bit of this notoriety and uh, certainly how you're continuing to, to carry, you know, uh, forward the spirit of emergency nurses um, through your work today. So I appreciate you being a part of the ENA podcast today. I appreciate you reaching out to me about it. I'm happy to participate. I really enjoyed it. And if for anybody who's listening who wants to learn more about uh, the award, you can go to va.gov backslash nursing and you search up the secretary award and you'll see a nice profile of, uh, of Maria on the page there that you know, offers a little bit of, of her background and uh, some of the other folks that you know, have been, uh, are being honored this year during Nurses Week uh, by the VA. So uh, with all of that, um, and, and this was a, 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 was a fun, fun interview for me to learn more about uh, Maria and this award, and, and certainly uh, as part of Nurses Week, you know, as we're celebrating nurses of all types, you know, to bring some, uh, some positive attention you know, to an emergency nurse uh, who, uh, of course, you know, as, as she explained, you know, putting her skills to use uh, in a place that uh, she never would have expected to out in the middle of the desert. So. With all that, that'll do it for this episode of the ENA Podcast. We look forward to you joining us next time and uh, we hope you continue to listen and be sure to go back and check out our previous episodes, uh, whether you're listening on uh, iTunes or your favorite app or you're listening through SoundCloud, uh, the entire catalog of the ENA Podcast is there. So uh, plenty for people to check out. Until next time, this is Dan Campana. Thank you for listening.